Welcome to the final podcast, podcast 8, although there's 9 podcasts, because you'll recall that one was broken into A and B, for Land Use Planning 1, being offered, I think, in January of 2021. Uh, Bruce is here to answer our questions, or in this case, my questions, and my name's Brian. Podcast 8 is an, on environmental auditing. So, Bruce, what is an environmental audit? Environmental audit is a process where the environmental protection and management systems of an operating facility are examined in relevant detail by an environmental auditor or an environmental auditing team. It's kind of like a financial audit done by a chartered accountant on a company's books, except in this case it's done by a qualified environmental auditor, and they are looking at the environmental practices by the company. So we're making a distinction here with, for instance, environmental monitoring, which we've talked about, and environmental impact assessment. Environmental auditing is different again. That's right. The um, environmental impact assessment looks at the future, a future development, and environmental audit looks at an operation that's ongoing right now. So who does such an audit? So the auditor or auditing team may be from a government regulatory body, if it's a compliance issue, or it may be a third party qualified environmental auditor under for example, ISO 14000, or under an industry conformance standard. So um, self-auditing can be done, and that's where the operating company itself does the audit to check on its own processes and ensure that they're compliance with the regulations and its own environmental policies are being followed. So in all cases, an auditor must be properly qualified, trained, experienced, and certified under some universally recognized set of standards. I'm a little taken aback uh, to learn that self-auditing is a thing. Uh, should we be suspicious of major development uh, companies auditing themselves? Sometimes, and sometimes not. Um, the self-audit is done really to prep for an audit that's done by a third party, uh, just as a check on its own processes. So the same as you'd check your speedometer if you're trying to drive yeah. down the highway. Good, good example. How does an environmental audit work? It usually consists of examination of operating records, interviews with facility staff, and direct observations of the operating facility and grounds. So th that leads naturally into the, the next question I have. Um, what's the scope of the audit? What will it uh, depend on? It depends on the purpose of the audit and the type of facility, but may include one or more of the following. Compliance with applicable laws and regulations, adequacy and operation of the environmental protection programs, their environmental protection equipment. It may look at waste and waste production and waste management and waste reduction. It will look at health and safety and will also look at the management systems related to environmental protection and the programs for quality control and quality insurance. So sometimes in some audits it'll focus on waste management other time, it'll focus on occupational health and safety, or safety itself. And I know I'm, I'm flogging a, a dead horse, or at least the same horse I flogged a, a few minutes ago, but can environmental audits be trusted? That's a, a very important question. So self-monitoring, which I mentioned before, it relies on the regulated individual or firm to keep records on regulated matters and, and its own compliance and to make them available to the regulatory body either on demand or at specified regular intervals. Third-party monitoring, on the other hand, 
depends on an arm's length firm or individual, such as a consultant, to make the necessary observations or inspections and ensure that records are maintained and submitted to the regulatory body where required. But it strikes me that the obvious issue here is one of trust and or reliability. You mentioned ISO 14000 earlier. What does that mean? ISO 14000 is an international standard and it addresses the uh, credibility of auditing because, because it's recognized by uh, governments around the world. So, so an auditor would, would get the certification, uh, he or she or they would be assessed according to this international standard? That's right. There is a training program and a certification program for an auditor and they must keep that up to date to, to continue to, to do audits. Well, that, uh, that reassures me a bit. My paranoia or my suspicion has been allayed a little bit. Um, but let's get into the nuts and bolts of it. What happens in an environmental audit? So an environmental audit usually begins with the auditing team looking at facility records and perhaps interviews with regulatory agencies or in industry associations before the actual site visit. The site visit might be anywhere from one to five days, depending on the size and complexity of the facility being audited. During the site visit, the auditing team interviews management and other personnel on the site, including the different departments. The grounds are inspected for signs of contamination and pollution control and monitoring equipment may be observed. It's, uh, it strikes me that to be, to be reliable, to be uh, authoritative, uh, the audit must interview and assess all sorts of processes and departments. Is that fair? Yeah, it's really important that all of the processes and departments are interviewed in the audit. So there are no outages, or what they call outages in an audit. The auditing team should meet and interview senior managers, department heads, and members of the various departments at uh, all levels. Contractors and subcontractors should be interviewed as well, since faulty communications, changing staff, etc., with these people may not always be complete. Also, if there are day and night shifts of employees at the facility, they should both be represented in the interviews. For this and other reasons, uh, such as tact and listening skills, an environmental audit can be demanding on the auditors who may need to catch up on their sleep afterwards. Huh, sounds like you're speaking from experience, but we'll get back to that in a second. Um, given that this is a, uh, an audit of, uh, of an existing development, an existing project, what about the members of the community, uh, elders or, or other residents, uh, say it's in or beside an Indigenous community, are they interviewed? They should be uh, in, in the design of the audit. And I should say that the design of the audit should fit the uh, community that's uh, in, in the area as, as, as well as the industry that's being audited. And then at the end, is there some sort of summary or, or report? Yeah, so at the end of the audit, there's an exit interview in which the audit team gives highlights of its findings and then runs. <laughs> and after that, uh, they will go back and huddle and produce an audit report with an action plan for addressing deficiencies and problems. They're completed by the auditing team soon after the audit and submitted to the facilities management. But as is our uh, tradition during these podcasts, we don't want to leave the listeners simply with a series of principles or criteria or lists. Let's uh, relate it to the real world. Do you have an example for us? Yeah, I do. Um, I once conducted 
as part of a team, an environmental audit at one major facility. Um, which will remain nameless? Which will remain nameless to protect the building, <laughs> that's right. When we interviewed the CEO and senior executives, they talked glowingly about their extensive recycling programs. We were impressed and surprised to hear about. It, it was uh, quite mm. modern and very thorough. So we talked to the CEOs and then we talked to the middle management, the heads of the various departments. When we talked to them, they mentioned the recycling programs, but in some cases, they were noticeably short of details and had to call in their more junior staff to help explain. Then we went out onto the site to examine waste streams, dumpster contents, and so forth. We talked to the employees and contractors who actually did the work and handled the materials, ran the machines, and so forth. In one case, I recall the response of the guy who we interviewed in the yard in the, in the thick of the action. When we mentioned some of the waste items, we understood we were being placed so conscientiously in the recycling containers. He looked at us, amazed, and said, you mean we're su supposed to be recycling that shit too? <laughs> <laughs> now, now, given that uh, you've told us that at the end of an audit, there's an exit interview and an audit plan, in this case, how did those go? <laughs> we mentioned everything, but uh, tactfully. <laughs> And we will conclude just with a, a brief uh, review of a, of a typical environmental audit. You said earlier that it, it typically takes, say, between one and one and five days. And you've given me a, a list of, of a few uh, points to be, uh, or a few parts of the audit to be, to be addressed. In this case, it's over three days, I think. That's right. And so what are some of the stuff that should be done pre-audit before the auditors show up at the, yeah. at the development? So to get a head start, what we would normally do is, uh, well, first, first of all, most importantly, is agree with the operator or, or the industry association or the regulatory body on the scope and the purpose as well as the scheduling of the audit. And then uh, we would get a hold, we would ask the uh, company to send us its operating records, uh, its organization charts, its uh, operating permits or approvals, uh, maps of the site layout, the uh, production process, training records, safety procedures, and all that sort of thing up front so it would give us uh, an adequate time to uh, prepare for the audit. Also, it's wise to agree beforehand with the operator on who will be available for interviews and walkthroughs. But having said that, it's also wise to say that we will be going at random and we would have the freedom to do so, to go and talk like to the guy who was uh, supposed to be recycling the waste at any time during the audit. And that's a nice intro to my, my next question. I noticed that days one and two are typically uh, occupied by talking to senior management and middle management, as you as you explained in your uh, example. But then I noticed days two and three, uh, you're going sort of lower down the food chain, as it were, talking to the actual uh, people who get their hands dirty and interviewing contractors and lo lower level staff. That, that's right. Yeah, and always remembering to. Uh, if there's a night shift, to include them in the audit, which means some, some late nights, but it, it's often interesting what you find out on the, from the night shift. And then I see that the fourth phase in this typical, say, three-day audit is the preparation of the audit report within one to two weeks. That's right. 
Well, that concludes uh, podcast eight, uh, topic eight, environmental auditing. And indeed, it concludes the entire series of eight or nine podcasts for Land Use Planning One. Bruce, is there anything you want to say in conclusion? No, I would uh, welcome the students who are going to be part of the Land Use Planning One course. And uh, I look forward to working with you uh, when, the, when the time comes up. Well, I've enjoyed our chat, and I'm sure the students will enjoy the podcast. So, uh, again, and for the final time, thanks, Bruce. Thank you. You're welcome.